Saint Teresa of Avila once said, One must not think that a person who is suffering is not praying. He is offering up his sufferings to God, and many a time he is praying more truly than one who goes away by himself and meditates his head off. Welcome to the 93rd episode of St. Dimna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that in the midst of our suffering, even the smallest turn toward God can amount to more than we could ever believe. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. I received a request to talk about the topic of involuntary psychiatric hospitalization, specifically how is someone evaluated when they are involuntarily committed? The person writing in adding, I feel like some people will be more willing to risk that outcome for someone who needs it if they understand what goes on. So this is a great topic to discuss, and I'd like to start by praying for everyone involved in involuntary hospitalizations in the present moment, in the past, for those being hospitalized, for families and friends trying to get help, for the helping professionals involved in this difficult experience, that God's grace may be present in all involved and that the dignity of every person being evaluated and potentially hospitalized be held up and maintained throughout the experience. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Next, I want to make sure that I frame this situation with the understanding that I live in California and my experience with involuntary psychiatric hospitalization may be drastically different than those of you in other states or other countries. And I have to say that I have only experienced this as a helping professional, as the one charged with evaluating someone for such a hold. And I think that's important to point out because situations that I may think have gone as well as possible might, from the patient perspective, have been lacking in some way. With those items mentioned, let me first talk about the reasons why someone may be hospitalized involuntarily for mental health experiences. Here in California, there are three reasons stipulated by Welfare and Institution Code Section 5150, and I'll read this verbatim. When a person as a result of a mental health disorder is a danger to others or to himself or herself or gravely disabled, a peace officer or a professional person designated by the county may upon probable cause take or cause to be taken the person into custody for a period of up to 72 hours for assessment, evaluation, and crisis intervention or placement for evaluation and treatment in a facility designated by the county. So a couple of definitions are necessary here, and since danger to self is the most common scenario for a hold like this, I'll explain it a bit. We'll start with uh, some help from the Riverside County Mental Health Training Manual. As a result of a mental disorder, the person must be suicidal or express significant harm to self or engage in behavior that puts him or herself in serious danger. Dangerous behavior can be intentional or unintentional. Listed below are examples of behaviors which, when they are a result of a mental disorder, often indicate that a person meets 5150 criteria for danger to self. 
The person has indicated by words or actions that he or she is having thoughts to commit suicide or inflict bodily harm on themselves. The person's statements or actions indicate a specific plan, intent, and or means by which to commit suicide or inflict harm to self, and these means are within the ability of the person to carry out, like the person has access to these means. And last, the person refuses to accept or is unwilling or unable to obtain psychiatric evaluation and treatment on a voluntary basis. So back to me, it's important to note that all three of these must be present in order for someone to be placed on an involuntary hold. They must express they are suicidal, they must have a plan, intent, and a means to carry out that plan, and they must refuse to accept voluntary treatment. If any one of those isn't present, the individual seeking help should not be placed on a hold against their will. So it's important to know that telling a therapist that you feel overwhelmed and wish you could just fall asleep and never wake up again is not something you should be placed on a hold for. We would call this and other similar thoughts passive suicidal ideation, and it's not something to be sent to the hospital over, even though it is something that should prompt us to voluntarily get help from a therapist or a doctor. Just to touch on the other two reasons for a hold, danger to others is similar to danger to self in that a person must express the desire to hurt others, have a plan, intent, and means to carry out the plan and refuse voluntary help. And gravely disabled means that as a result of someone's mental health, they are unable to provide for their food, clothing, or shelter. This is probably the least understood but typically is utilized when an individual is experiencing psychosis that leads to them not eating because of delusions about food or taking off their clothes in an inappropriate setting because of their mental health experience or not being able to avail themselves uh, to shelter because of their mental health. An example being someone who had a place to stay but wouldn't stay there because of a delusional thought like they were in danger so they needed to escape and sleep on the streets. Now, I don't want to go on too long, but I will say that oftentimes the experience of being evaluated and placed on an involuntary hold can be traumatic. This is for various reasons, but a few are worth mentioning. Often we call 911 when a friend or loved one is in need of an evaluation, and the police who arrive might not be the most compassionate individuals. People placed on a hold are often transported via ambulance, which can also be a difficult experience. And that facility they go to might have staff who are burned out, not giving their best compassionate care, not to mention there are other individuals there who are experiencing a serious crisis which can make the setting scary at times or at the very least unsettling. Some ideas to help with this are to call the mental health crisis team if available instead of 911, unless there's an imminent danger, of course, and to ensure that everyone is open and honest about the experience and what to expect as best as possible. For example, it's important to frame the facility one initially goes to as a place where we are evaluated and kept safe rather than a location where we'll receive treatment to help us feel like our old happy selves again. Setting clear expectations is very important. Last, I want to point out the importance of setting up a crisis plan. Things that we can do when we start to feel like we're headed toward a crisis. Who can we call? What coping skills can we engage? When would we want support people around us to call for help, etc.? This is so important because when we're in a crisis, our brains are so overwhelmed and have a, having a clearly written out plan for ourselves, our loved ones, and the helping professionals around us can really help things go as smoothly as possible. There's so much more that I could say, but I'll leave it there for now, and I really hope that helps. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Charbel Maclouf.
Born in 1828 in Lebanon, Yusuf Antun Maklouf was one of five children in a family that lived in the highest village in the Lebanese mountains. His father died when he was just three years old. His mother remarried to a man who became a parish priest in their village, which led to Maklouf being raised in a pious home and fostered his love of the saints and feeling drawn to the life of a hermit, which was the path chosen by one of his two uncles. As a child, he installed an icon of Mary in a nearby grotto and would often go to pray there. In 1851, he left his family and joined the Monastery of Our Lady of Mayfouk and eventually took on the religious habit and the name Charbel. And after a mart- named after a martyr from the second century, he made his final religious vows two years after joining the monastery. He was ordained in 1859 and began a life of severe asceticism. 18 years later, he was granted permission to live as a hermit. And he did so for the next 23 years until he died from a stroke on Christmas Eve, 1898. According to Wikipedia, it was reported that during the transport of his corpse, the inclement weather conditions hindered the pallbearers in carrying out their duty. One of the pallbearers reported, Father Charbel died on the eve of Christmas. The snow was heavy. We transferred him to a monastery on Christmas Day. Before we moved him, the snow was falling rapidly and the clouds were very dark. And when we carried him, the clouds disappeared and the weather cleared. A few months after his death, a bright light was seen surrounding the tomb and the superiors opened it to find his body still intact After that day, a blood-like liquid flowed from his body. Experts and doctors were unable to give a medical explanation for the incorruptibility and flexibility. And in the years 1950 and 1952, his tomb was open and his body still had the appearance of a living one. In this century, his grave has been opened a total of four times, the last being 1955. And each time it has been noticed that he was bleeding and his body still had flexibility as if it were alive. Live. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. O Lord Jesus, you inspired the saint, monk, and hermit Charbel to live and die in your path, and you gave him the strength to detach himself from the world in order to make triumph in his hermitage the monastic virtues. We implore thee to bestow upon us the grace to love thee and serve thee following his example. God Almighty, who has manifested the power of St. Charbel's intercession by the numerous miracles and favors, grant us our petitions by his intercession. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. John gets us started. How do you respond to someone who tells you you use your mental health issues as a crutch? Let's first pray for everyone experiencing mental health symptoms that make it difficult to function in day-to-day life and for an end to stigma related to mental health symptoms in our church and our world. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This statement that someone is using their mental health as a crutch is another example of the mental health stigma that is alive and well both in our church and our world. Stigma is something we always have to be focused on destroying and something we always have to be praying for an end to because stigma keeps so many people from reaching out for help with their mental health and their emotional well-being. It leads to people suffering when there's a path to healing available because we internalize this thought that we should just be able to get over everything on our own, that we shouldn't feel 
feel depressed because look at how great our life is or that we should just be able to push through anxiety because because everyone's been worried before but not everyone has to give in and take medication for it it's absolute crap mental health symptoms like physical health symptoms are something that we should feel encouraged to reach out for help to work on not shamed because the symptoms make it difficult for us to function. No one shames a cancer patient because they get tired quickly from physical activity. No one shames someone suffering from seizures because they aren't able to have a driver's license. No one says that they are using their symptoms as a crutch. And no one should say that about someone suffering from mental illness. So I would tell this person to have a little compassion, try to have some empathy, and realize that if it were as simple as just deciding to stop experiencing mental health symptoms and go on living the life we'd all like, we would all choose that. But it isn't that simple. We are a people who need help from time to time. We are a people who need to be okay with not being okay. And we are a people who need to take a break from time to time. And we are a people who need the support and community of compassionate friends and family to help us when we need it. Anonymous is up next. Could you talk about praying for the repose of the soul of someone who has hurt you deeply, especially a relative who was abusive, abandoned you, etc.? I speak from experience and it's hard. Let's begin by praying together for everyone who has been traumatized by someone who should have kept them safe and for the souls of all those who have gone before us. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Praying to the souls of the dead or praying for the souls of the dead is an essential Catholic practice. We understand that we have a role to play in the journey of family, friends, people who have no one else to pray for them as they move through purgatory and toward heaven. It's so very important. And I can definitely see how one might feel that praying for the soul of an abuser who has died might be healing in some way. So if that's something that brings peace, relief, or a sense of being able to process things and move on from them, I'd say that's great. And if that works for you, go for it. However, I would not suggest this for everyone. And I would want to make sure to note that people who have been abused would also feel be right be within their right to feel like praying for the soul of a dead abuser would be unfathomable and to be at peace that god would understand it's important to remember here that forgiveness doesn't have to include doing things that make us feel unsafe and this includes not having to associate with a person who abused us when they're still alive and in my opinion could also include just the idea of praying for their soul for some it might be something positive but for others it could lead to all kinds of difficult emotions and a sense of feeling unsafe and I just want to make sure everyone understands that there is no requirement to pray for such a person from your life after their death. All that being said, I'd like to finish here with the prayer for healing for, for victims of abuse from the USCCB website. God of endless love, ever caring, ever strong, always present, always just, you gave your only son to save us by the blood of his cross. Gentle Jesus, shepherd of peace, join to your own suffering the pain of all who have been hurt in body, mind, and spirit by those who betrayed the trust placed in them. Hear the cries of our sisters and brothers who have been gravely harmed and the cries of those who love them. Soothe their restless hearts with hope. Steady their shaken spirits with faith. 
Grant them justice for their cause, enlightened by your truth. Holy Spirit, comforter of hearts, heal your people's wounds and transform brokenness into wholeness. Grant us the courage and wisdom, humility and grace to act with justice. Breathe wisdom into our prayers and labors. Grant that all harmed by abuse may find peace in justice. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. A different anonymous wraps us up. How do we interact with an adult daughter who has made the decision to take hormones to alter themselves to appear like a biological male and want to take surgical measures to further the image? Well, let's join together in prayer to our guardian angels for everyone who feels that they are trapped in a body that does not match the identity that their brain knows them to be and for their families that love may prevail in all circumstances. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here ever this day be at my side to light and guard to rule and guide amen i think it's important to start by recognizing how difficult this situation is how difficult it must be for your child who feels this deep sense of unease and distress about their biological sex not matching their gender identity and how difficult it must be as parents to try to navigate how best to accompany your child when they're going through something you don't understand I have two thoughts on how to interact with your child in this situation. First, ask and listen. The best place to start accompanying your child with love is to ask them about their experience and listen to what they have to say. Take a stance of total empathy when you consider what it must be like to go through the experience your child is going through, how difficult it must be, how hard it is to know your parents fe- how your parents feel, and still try to see the love that they have for you and really focus on helping your child feel heard, understood, and that their feelings are valid given all they're going through. Second, love them. I know this sounds simplistic, but how often do we actually make an effort to show our children the unconditional love that God has for them? That's our calling as parents, to love them like God loves them, remembering that loving them is independent of everything else. Loving them isn't the same as loving their choices. Imagine how God feels when he sees our choices, but he continues to love us as much as ever. It isn't easy, but it's our calling. When someone is going through this experience, I think the time for critical conversations and explanations and explorations about the potential implications of certain church teachings has passed. And there's nothing to do but show unconditional love. After all, it isn't critical conversations that are going to keep your relationship with your child going through this difficult time. It's love. If they feel the love from you that they can't get from anywhere else in the world, they're going to know that it's safe to be in a relationship with you, safe to share their deepest feelings and fears and hopes with you. And that's what you want, to have them feel like you accept them, love them, and are willing to walk with them no matter what. Lastly, if you're interested, I think it might be a great idea to look into getting therapy for yourself or for you and your spouse as a couple, just to be able to talk about all of these feelings and work through them together in an objective setting with a therapist. We're praying for you all. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head on over to the Ave Maria website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you 
and so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>